Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. The topic of climate change has been on everyone's lips this week. The United Nations and New York City are currently hosting Climate Week 2019. And of course, Swedish teenager Greta Thunberg's UN address managed to capture President Trump's attention, even if his Twitter response was more sarcastic than enthusiastic. But what does climate change mean here in the Midwest? The Missouri Botanical Garden isn't just asking that question. Its scientists are also developing answers by closely surveying plant life. Joining me in studio to talk about it is Adam Smith. He's an assistant scientist at the Missouri Botanical Garden Center for Conservation and Sustainable Development. Adam, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. We're also joined by Daria McKelvey. She's a supervisor of home gardening information and outreach at the Missouri Botanical Garden. Daria, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Do you have a question or comment about climate change for the Botanical Garden scientists? Give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Or you can send us a tweet at STL on air or email us at talk at stlpublicradio.org. Daria McKelvey, part of your work at the Botanical Garden involves something called the Climate Garden. What is that? Well, the Climate Garden is um, it's at the Kemper Center for Home Gardening, and we have... Um, we're testing out plants uh, in, in, on their hardiness, basically. Um, we are selecting plants that are typically found zone 7 plus and seeing how well they do in the St. Louis area. Now, these zones here, uh-huh. for those of us who are not gardeners, um, I understand these zones are put out by the USDA. What is a zone? The zone, uh, actually, you can look at this if you type, go to Google and type in USDA zone hardiness map. Um, it does a ranges for different parts of the country for the, uh, I think it's the average minimum temperatures for that region and then then they have a number of like from 1 to 10 or sorry 1 to 12 and um, so right now we're a zone 6 in here in the city. Okay so they're mm-hmm. sort of classifying um, what swaths of the country various things can grow yes. in. Yes. Uh-huh. So in St. Louis we're here in zone 6. Have we always been in zone 6? No, actually, a um, long time ago, we actually used to be about zone five, maybe about 5B. Um, and now we're seeing that we're kind of starting to warm up, and oh, that's okay. a concern. And that moves us into the zone six. Yes. Um, Adam, you want to hop in on that? Yeah, I'll throw in here um, that those zones are updated every couple years. And climate change recently has been happening so fast that quite often the maps are somewhat out of date by the time they're released. So it's not that St. Louis is out of zone six already, but if you're kind of on the border between five and six, you might actually be in six, even if you thought you were in five. Okay, so things are shifting very quickly on this. What does that mean for, say, a home gardener? Like if I'm moving from zone five to zone six, Mm -hmm. um, what ends up becoming possible or impossible? What is possible is that some of the plants that you probably couldn't grow years ago might be sticking around a little bit longer. Um, So you might have an opportunity to grow more things. Um, Give us an example of a plant that might be on the uh, borderline. I hear a lot of volunteers and a lot of people talking about crepe myrtle, for example. Um, before, it, like maybe 20, 30 plus years ago, uh, you could plant a crepe myrtle, but you'd probably have to cut it back down, uh, in, especially when, around the wintertime. Um, but now you don't really have to do that that much. You might get a little w- bit of winter damage, but they're still hanging on more shrubs. 
And if we get any warmer, they can, you know, fully develop into trees. Hopefully not. Oh, okay. Yeah. So in this climate garden, then, um, are you sort of testing things out under current conditions? Or are you simulating conditions that will get even warmer? These are current conditions. So whatever comes to the garden, rain, snow, we just plant it and it, it takes it all, all at once um, over the years. So um, we kind of had actually a running joke. This is also the garden where plants go to die. Um, because... Uh, you know, we're not expecting everything to survive in this climate garden. It's, you know, again, zone seven plus eight, nine, ten. But, you know, when we do have those successes where, you know, things overwinter for two, three years, we're like, oh, okay, this is something that we might need to look a little bit more into. This is suddenly something that's on the table. Yeah, exactly. Now, Adam, I know your focus is really climate change. Um, You know, you're looking at that very closely. How quickly do you see things like um, temperature shifting when it comes to St. Louis itself? Uh, That's a good question. So if you look at um, one of the longest running climate stations here in St. Louis, it's actually based at the Science Center. Every decade, average temperature has increased about 0.6 degrees. So since since 1970, we've had about three degrees of warming. Now, a lot of that is actually due to the fact that we have less air pollution. So that's around the time when we stopped burning coal to heat houses and stuff like that. So so that actually protected us from some, well, excess sunlight. But now that the air is cleaner, we're getting more sunlight and that's heating us up. So it's a, that's a win-lose situation. You'd think this would be a good thing that our air is cleaner. It is. It is. Uh, because air, air pollution is a, is a big killer, honestly. But at the same time, it has knock-on effects with temperature. Okay. So when you say we've gone up about three degrees since, you said 1970, 1970, uh um, that as somebody who doesn't deal with plants and frankly just kind of walks to my car at the end of the day and Mm -hmm. goes back to an air-conditioned house, it doesn't sound like a lot. Is it a lot when we're actually looking at our ecosystem? Yeah, it can be, especially. um, Yeah, I'd agree. Three degree doesn't sound like a lot, especially today. It's a really nice day. But if it's 100 degrees... 103, you would definitely notice. Um, and then especially with regards to natural world, plants especially, uh, you know, you're out there literally 24-7, 365, and three degrees can make a really big difference whether you live or die or reproduce. Okay. And Adam, I know you're also doing a lot of work with mathematical models. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you foreseeing or, or dealing with in those models in terms of what we could expect in the coming years? Well, let me tell you about... One of the most shocking uh, things I've ever seen on my computer screen, it's not a place where I normally kind of go to be shocked, but uh, this is many years ago, I was, my first job at the garden was to understand the climate vulnerability of a bunch of rare plants in this region. And to do that, I construct these mathematical models and identifies the location of the climate that these particular plants like. And sure enough, if the plant grows here, it likes Missouri climate. So then I can project those models to the future <clears throat> And I projected it out to the year 2070, and I looked at the map, and it wasn't there. The, the climate that it, this plant liked wasn't there. And I was like, oh, man, um, you know, the first thing a scientist thinks is they did something wrong. So I went back through all the code step by step, double-checked it. It seemed okay. And then I thought, well, make it, maybe I'm making the map wrong. So I went back and looked at the map. It seemed okay. And then I zoomed out to include uh, Canada. And there it was. There was the climate that this plant currently growing in Missouri likes – But in the year 2070, that climate was actually in Canada, actually in Newfoundland. And that's kind of the first time this really hit home personally. Um, 
you know, I was born in 1971, so the year 2070, I'll be really happy if I'm still alive. So in that sense, it's probably not going to affect me. But, um, you know, I have a son and he will. And I was wondering personally, like, is this here in St. Louis where I want to be? So, so what I did then was I kind of ran the model a little bit backwards, but I applied it to the city of St. Louis. I wanted to know where is St. Louis's future climate right now, if that makes sense. Like, where do I go right now to see what the future of St. Louis looks like? Mm -hmm. And when I did that for year 2070, what I found is that if you want to go to what the climate of St. Louis will most likely look like, you'd go to where Derry is from, you would go to Texas. Oh. And, I, and, and Texas is a big state. What part of Texas? Uh, uh, the Texas Panhandle. Oh, so, that's yeah. what we have to look forward to is well, the Panhandle? Yeah, it actually identified eastern Texas, but close okay. enough. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So we're talking about a much hotter place. And if you're talking about eastern Texas, maybe a wetter place as well? Um, not necessarily, but okay. hotter and Something drier. Hotter. For this reason, we're expecting more droughts, okay. more rain for each rainfall event, but more droughts. More overall. droughts. And we'll get there, your models show, within 50 years. So, yeah. Um, wow. Yeah, if we continue the way we're doing that it. That is sobering. Um, so we actually, um, we've got a number of callers who are really interested in talking oh, to you guys. Oh, I'm going to go to the phone lines. Yeah. Let's go to Brent um, calling from St. Louis. Um, Brent, hi. You're on St. Louis on the Air. Hi. Uh, it's my first time on the air. My dad's been a, a call-in guest a few times over the years. But uh, my question is about um, the types of lawns that that are, are low maintenance and that don't require irrigation. Um you know, when, uh, well, right now, actually, I'm planting a fescue lawn, and it's a, uh, I selected species that, that are drought tolerant, uh, that'll go dormant and not die uh, without irrigation. But I'm wondering if that even is a bad decision, um, you know, going forward, if, if lawns like uh, zoysia or Bermuda um, will be, you know, more suitable or, or maybe already are. Uh, Brent, thank you for that call. Uh, Daria McKelvey, not to put you on the spot, but any <laughs> thoughts on grass that will make sense with um, St. Louis's ongoing climate? Um, we're actually, I can say at the garden, we're actually kind of testing out a few mixes to see um, if there are any that um, can tolerate our crazy weather. Um, there's not going to be any really true low maintenance grass. You're going to have to take care of it. There's going to have to be some kind of water. But um, one of the mixes that we are looking at is like has buffalo grass in it. And that's usually considered a sort of a drought tolerant grass. It doesn't take off as quickly as some of the other ones, but um, maybe a mix of those would be a possibility. That might be something to explore going forward. Brent, mm -hmm. does that sound like something you might consider? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Cool. Well, thank uh, you so much for that call. Yeah, have a great day. Uh, Daria, is this something where if people are interested in getting this kind of information going forward, are there resources at the Botanical Garden where you help people with questions like that? Absolutely. Um, first of all, we have the Plant Doctor Desk where it's a walk-in service at the Center for Home Gardening and we're open seven days a week, nine to five. And you can come in and ask our master gardeners and staff any gardening questions you might have or if you need recommendations for plants in your yard. We also have a um, online plant sir, uh, email, um, plantinformation at mobot.org. You can email our staff and they can answer your questions. And then we also have a call-in service Monday through Friday, um, 9 to noon. Um, Horticulture Answer Service will answer your questions as well. Okay. Well, that's, that's yeah. good to know. All those resources are out there. Um, Adam Smith, for the kind of modeling that you do, is this something where we actually can predict what's going to be useful in St. Louis, say, with grasses um, in 20 years? Or is there just too many variables and it's hard to sort of get to that micro level? Uh, yes and no. I haven't done lawn grass, but uh, one of the most important grasses in prairies around here is called Big Blue Stem. And uh, around here, it can reach the height of a human or even taller. In fact, it was said that 
Um, back in the day, a person on a horse could have literally gotten lost in a tall grass prairie. The, the grasses were so tall. Oh, wow. But if you go out west to where the, the species um, kind of uh, dies off in, in eastern Colorado, it's about knee high. And so I've used my models to figure out what kind of blue gra- uh, big blue stem will be favored here. And what happens is um, in the future, the kind of big blue stem, the really tall variety that we see here, that will be favored up in the Great Lakes area, in fact, north of there, whereas the kind of grass that would be favored here, a big blue stem, is actually located out in Colorado, the knee-high hmm. uh, kind. And the big question is, could it actually get here? Could those genes of that of those populations get here? And by themselves, probably not. So it might require some human intervention. Okay, interesting. Um, We've got a couple more callers I'd like to take. Uh, Let's go to Rob in Wildwood. Hi, Rob, you're on St. Louis on the Air. Yeah, hi there. Um, I manage a woodland here in Wildwood, uh, um, mostly open woodland, um, some prairie, savanna-type stuff. Um, And uh, I'm doing it under the guidelines of the Missouri Conservation Department. And I'm not sure they take, they adequately take climate change into account. And um, the trees I'm removing and the species I'm eliminating and so forth, I have to do some replanting. And I'm wondering if there are are resources um, and guidelines as to what, uh, that, that adequately take climate change into account. As far as things like woodlands go, um, thank you for that question, Rob. Do either of you have any thoughts on the kind of resources? I, I guess it might be worth asking, is the Department of Conservation consulting with, with you guys at the Missouri Botanical Garden at this point? That's a good question. Um, MDC does work with the garden in different aspects. Um, I'm not 100% sure on their con- uh, if they're looking at the recommendations in terms of climate change. Um, what you can do, I can say, is we do have a this uh, plant finder website. Um, just go type in Mobot plant finder, and you can look up these species online. And they do have a profile that explains, you know, what kind of soil they like, how they grow, and what zones that they're um, that they usually are found in. So that can kind of help guide you as to what species you need to remove and or which ones you want to keep. Rob, hopefully that'll be helpful in in the work you're doing. Thank you for that call. And we've actually got, oh, Adam, did you want to speak to well, that actually, as well? I, I do have a question for you, Daria. Um, are plants rated uh, that, according to their hardiness zones, um, are plants that are not necessarily horticultural varieties rated for the hardiness zone? So so trees that we might find naturally growing out here, are they also rated so that somebody could look up and say, oh, this is favored in, in zone five or something like that, and it'd probably be more likely to survive here? Yes. Um, actually, uh, straight species, cultivars, anything that we can find, whenever we uh, actually enter a new plant into our database, the fir- one of the first things it gets is a hardiness zone um, that to go along with that data before we upload it online. So yes, all of our species would have that. So that sounds like a good resource. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. great to hear. We've actually got a call from somebody that you guys work with at the Missouri Botanical Garden. Oh. I hope you're not in trouble here. Um, <laughs> let's talk to um, Jean Ponzi. Um, Jean, hi, you're on St. Louis on the Air. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah, and thank you, Adam and Daria, for bringing this topic to the public's attention from the garden. I just wanted to mention that the complement to our excellent horticulture answer service and plant doctor is our planet doctor service, our sustainability answer service that takes questions by email or by phone from the public about anything having to do with energy, waste minimization, rainscaping, uh, ecological landscaping, all the kinds of things that we do in the Gardens Earthway Center. And then my question, the contact there is greenresources at mobot.org. 
But my question is, um, have you, Adam or Daria, heard about any piloting of bee lawns in the St. Louis area? This is something that the University of Minnesota Extension has been promoting, where lawn or part of lawn can get converted to a mix of pollinator-friendly blooming plants that takes less water and takes less mowing and might be an option in addition to buffalo grass for um, more kinds of residential and commercial situations. Bee lawns. Have, have either of you heard anything about bee lawns? This is, sounds like a pretty cool thing. It does. I, yeah, this is news to me, actually, but I think it's a great idea um, since we've, you know, pollinators are also part of this conversation and everything. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's a, thank you for bringing that to our attention, Jean. Um, and could you say again, for people who have ecology questions and want to get some answers from the experts over at the Missouri Botanical Garden, what is that email address? It is greenresources at mobot, M-O-B-O-T, dot O-R-G. And if the question is not in our knowledge base, we will look that up and research it for you from the Earthway Center. Well, Gene, thank you so much for that. Um, Adam Smith? Yeah, I will throw in. Um, honestly, I haven't heard of bee lawns, but Audubon Society has a, a local program called Bring Nature Home. And what you can do with that is get your lawn certified to a certain degree. They have like bronze, silver, gold. And of course, they're thinking about birds. But if it's good for birds, it's almost assuredly good for other native wildlife. That's great to know as well. Um, we've got one more caller. I love that people are so interested in this topic. This is great to see. Um, Jim from Bridgeton. Hi, you're on St. Louis on the Air. Yes, good afternoon. I'm one of the master gardeners that they talked about. Anyone who's interested in gardening, I can highly recommend it. It's a great program. Um, my question is for Adam. Uh, in your models, are you seeing greater uh, eccentricity as this climate equilibrium shifts to a warmer basis? It, it seems like we're getting winters that are really dry, summers that are really wet. I know there's some variation in natural, but it feels like as this equilibrium shifts, it's, it's, a, bit, it's a bit more erratic. And we're seeing things that, you know, plants in a certain zone might be exposed to some really typical conditions that would kill them off in the winter. That's that's what I hear in my tree walks and things like that. Yeah, good question. Um, yes, things are coming becoming, in a sense, less less forecastable. Um, one of the things that we expect with, with climate change as it progresses is more and more extremes. So, for example, uh, we have a lot of hot days. And yet, surprisingly, we have these polar vortices every couple of years that are pushing down really cold air. Um, so all of this makes what we really expect less or more difficult to actually pinpoint. But we do know that in general, temperatures will increase. Things will, in this region at least will get drier. I think one of the um, unfortunate misnomers for what we're talking about is global warming. And it makes people think only about temperature. And it is true, over, overall, things are getting warmer. And yet climate is not just temperature or it's many different kinds of temperature, many different kinds of precipitation. It's whether it's foggy in the morning or foggy in the evening. It's whether it rains at night or during the day, whether it, whether it's um, we get cold snaps earlier or later in the year. All these different facets of climate are changing, and many of them uh, 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 suggest that we're going to have more and more extreme events. Oh, boy. Um, Jim, thank you for that question. Daria, did you also want to hop in there? Yeah, and I can speak to also the um, temp what temperature is one thing. Um, earlier and earlier springs, we're kind of noticing that, and it's actually felt all across the U.S., um, even in Washington, D.C., you know, the cherry blossoms are coming in, blooming earlier. And that's also something we're concerned about, too, because with... Oh, go ahead. And, and sorry, why would you be concerned about that? As someone who hates winter, isn't it great to have <laughs> hey. an early spring? Uh, it, it, it is... 
it's okay, but it's not really good for, um, especially like fruit and nut crop trees, if you're trying to grow fruit, um, they will, if they're responding to warmer temperatures, um, one, some of the plants may not be going dormant well enough as they need. Um, another thing is if they're blooming early and then all of a sudden we get a cold snap, it kills off the blossoms, which also means that they can't get pollinated and that means you don't get any fruit production. Um, the other concern is too, if the pl uh, plants are flowering earlier, there's the possibility that there might be a mismatch between blooming time and pollinators who are key to a lot of plants in their survival. So if that messes up, oh boy. So like, for example, the bees might not be around at the point that they would be needed? Yeah. So maybe like, this is just an example. So for example, like a, I don't know, a magnolia, it maybe it normally blooms in March and let's say it starts blooming in February. Well, if the bees are normally coming out in March when that plant, you know, in normal conditions, but that magnolia all of a sudden one year blooms, you know, months earlier, there's going to be a, you know, discord in that. So they're not going to be able to pollinate that plant correctly or okay. as efficiently. Um, we are almost out of time here, but I want to take just one more call. Um, Rick calling from St. Louis. Hi, you're on St. Louis on the air. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Um, I have a question regarding just the validation of the model. How much retrospective data do you actually use, and how can you test robustness? Rick, thanks for that question. Adam Smith, that's obviously directed sure, at you. Sure, that, that's a great question because, honestly, we don't know the future. We're looking in a crystal ball. So what I do and what other ecologists do is take historical data. Um, for example, I was blessed to be part of this incredible program before I came to the garden where we went out to the Sierra Nevada Mountains in California and Nevada, um, and surveyed sites that were surveyed 100 years ago because there is a, a gentleman out there who had at that time gone around and taken exquisitely detailed notes about what he saw. And so we were able to go back to the exact same sites. And honestly, I, I found sometimes literally the same tree stump that he, was, um, that he had found and see what was there. And we have found, not surprisingly perhaps, that many creatures, many animals, um, birds and, and mammals have moved up in the mountains because things have gotten warmer. And so what I can do is I can take those models, pretend I'm in the year 1910, project them forward to now and double check them that way. And they're working when you do that? Generally, yeah. Okay. Um, Rick, thank you so much for that call. Unfortunately, we're out of time right now, but Adam Smith and Daria McKelvey of the Missouri Botanical Garden, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, sir. Thank you. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.